This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. Our colleague Anna Maria Andriotis has been writing about the finances of middle-class American families for more than a decade. If the people I spoke to from my stories were my neighbors, and I was just looking at them from the outside, I would think they have a comfortable lifestyle. But as Anna Maria dug more into the lives of the people she talked to and took a closer look at their finances, she discovered something else. Mountains of debt. When you peel back the layers of the house and the nice car and a lifestyle that one would want to aspire to, and you realize that that lifestyle is being sustained by debt and debt that is increasingly rising, you realize something's not, something's not right here. Last year, when Anna Maria did a series of articles on rising consumer debt in America, she would raise concerns to bank executives that people might be taking on more debt than they can handle. But the executives had a different reaction. Executives would push back. People in the card sector would push back on my concerns. They would say unemployment's super low. The executives said as long as unemployment was low and people kept paying their bills, consumer debt wasn't a problem. And there's a correlation between unemployment and delinquencies, right? That they're going to rise when unemployment's rising. So, okay, valid. Unemployment is super low. Yes, got it. But then, in the space of just a few weeks this spring, those executives' assumptions went out the window. This is the second episode in our series about debt in this crisis, this time about consumer debt. Today on the show, what happens when millions of borrowers stop paying their bills all at the same time? Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Wednesday, May 20th. The last financial crisis in 2008 was caused in part by consumer debt. Banks lent money to people to buy houses that they couldn't afford. And when borrowers defaulted on those loans, it led to the subprime mortgage crisis. And in the aftermath of that crisis, banks learned a lesson. The main lesson coming out that still haunted, that still stayed with lenders up until even this day, was to be cautious and to really limit the amount of subprime lending that they were doing and not to lend to people who have low credit scores. You'd hear that on even earnings calls. It would be the questions that analysts would always ask or would look for, that shareholders would look for too. It's banks' exposure to subprime lending rising. And for the most part, it wasn't. If anything, their exposure was declining. Lenders were still giving out money, but the strategy was different. This time, they would go after borrowers with good credit scores, and they went after them aggressively. Consumers' mailboxes have been flooded with debt offers for much of the last decade. The credit card sector by itself has been so aggressive over the last five or so years. I mean, 
They poured billions of dollars into building up these rewards programs on their cards to basically attract more and more consumers. And they were hoping to land a particular type of customer. What the lenders all wanted was someone called a revolver. A revolver? What is that? A revolver is someone who doesn't pay their credit card bills in full every month. So you owe $1,000 and you don't pay $1,000 when your next bill is due to your lender. So you pay either the minimum required payment that you see listed on your credit card, or you'll pay something that's more than that, but less than 1000 And credit card lenders like them because if you don't pay your full balance, you then are charged interest. And that's where a big chunk of the revenue for lenders comes from. Revolvers are people like Jonathan Guzman and Myra Thanal. Jonathan and Myra are a couple with a young daughter living in Connecticut. Combined, they earn more than $130,000 a year. But even with both salaries, they still have financial difficulties. Difficulties they explained to Anna Maria last year. One of the biggest issues that this family has been dealing with for a long time is exceptionally high debt. As of last summer, the couple had around $50,000 of student loan debt, around $18,000 of auto loan debt, and they had about $50,000 of credit card debt. How did this family end up in so much debt? Well, I spent a lot of time speaking with this couple, and much of the credit card debt is tied to the everyday purchases and expenses that many of us make, some things that you buy for your home when you first move in, going out to eat dinner together after a long day of work and just wanting to take some of that edge off. And yeah, sure, the splurges that many of us do have every now and then, both of them have been asked to be in bridal parties, they go to weddings, they have a lot of family and friends, so expenses that come with that. I think an even bigger point with regards to the credit card debt is that the couple for a long time was in this situation where they were making good money and when the paycheck would come in, much of that would go towards their mortgage, money going towards their auto loans, the other debt that they have, and then also making the minimum required payments on their credit cards. And then they would look at what was left over each month and that much was left over. So there's that cycle. They would then turn to their cards to pay for their day-to-day expenses until the next paycheck came in. These are the families that credit card lenders love. This is a responsible family in many ways, but they also carry balances. And these balances could stay with them for decades. And with that comes a lot of interest charges for the credit card lenders to collect. Lenders have been able to attract lots of borrowers like Jonathan and Myra, partly because American paychecks don't go as far as they used to. In the past three decades, Americans' costs have far outpaced how much money they earn. The main issue that American families have been dealing with for more than a decade now is the fact that the pace at which incomes are rising has not kept up anywhere near with the pace at which costs of living have been rising. Median household incomes in the U.S. have risen over the past three decades. Without adjusting for inflation, over three decades through 2017, incomes are up 135%. Sounds good, but not really. 
Not really, because the cost of living a middle-class life has gone up much faster than that. The costs of healthcare and housing have both outpaced income. And take average tuition at a four-year public college. That's shot up more than 500%. And things like housing and healthcare and college tuition, those aren't just discretionary expenses. Those are necessities. Necessities, yeah. You have these costs, most of which are necessities, rising at a pace that is outstripping the pace at which income is rising. And that's where this very uncomfortable cycle starts. As costs have outpaced incomes, lenders have jumped in to fill the gap. One big area is car loans. Car prices have gone up, and the loans Americans take out to pay for them have gone up too. The typical car loan not that long ago had a repayment period of five years. But instead, what's been happening is that the repayment periods on these loans have been growing so that people are leaving dealerships with cars and loans that can be as long as seven years, sometimes eight years long. A car loan can turn into a long-term burden on someone's finances. And that has serious repercussions. It's another $200, $300 that's going towards the car loan that you could have been putting towards something else. Essentially, people are now indebted with longer car loans, car loans that will last for more years than they previously did, with balances that are larger than they previously were. And with that, monthly payments that are also larger than maybe their household budget can actually afford. Consumer debt balances, excluding mortgage debt, and including things like car loans, credit cards, and student loans, adds up to about $4 trillion, a figure that's higher than it's ever been before. And last year, Anna Maria started to question how sustainable it was. And the question that bothered me was, in a strong economy, why do people need to rely on credit cards so much when unemployment is so low? There had to have been red flags throughout all this. People had to have seen that that is only sustainable insofar as people are fully employed. Since at least early 2017, questions on credit card companies' earnings calls have included, what inning are we in in this credit cycle? How much longer is this going to last? And it was hard to tell because this was a long-running, strong market. Even with that strong market, many were looking for where the cracks could show. Anna Maria says that she and others were thinking that the problem would come from within the financial system. Everybody was looking for pockets of problems. Many of us, myself included, were looking at subprime lending. Is that rising? Or looking at other types of lending to people with less than stellar credit scores. And is that rising? And if so, by how much? Other lenders she spoke to were looking for signs of external shocks that could lead to a sharp downturn. One lender was modeling out last summer, I was told, scenarios in which their delinquency rates could rise sharply. Like, what could happen in order for us as a lender to see delinquency rates really go up materially? And they went through several different scenarios, I was told, including even like a terrorist attack and what that could do to the U.S. economy. But this was not a scenario they could have foreseen. This was a global pandemic. After the break, what happens when the multi-trillion dollar debt industry is threatened by a virus? This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. 
But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by C3 AI. C3 Generative AI enables rapid access to secure, traceable, hallucination-free insights from enterprise systems, all while using any LLM, helping enterprises turn the invisible into the obvious. Learn more at c3.ai. Welcome back. Last summer, when Anna Maria was talking to lending executives about Americans' record debt, they assured her high levels of debt were sustainable as long as unemployment stayed low. But as the coronavirus spread and states shut down, unemployment soared, and lenders saw just how tenuous the financial lives of many Americans really were. It was immediate. By the middle of March, credit card lenders, auto lenders, and others were receiving phone calls from their customers saying, I can't pay my bill. One person who can't pay his bills is Steven Sickinger, who manages an auto repair shop in Tucson, Arizona. He's still working, but because of the pandemic, he's only earning about a third of his regular income. Mr. Sickinger basically sat down and took a tally of all the different lenders that he has, that he pays every month. And speaking with him, he's told me, look, I just can't make a lot of these payments right now. There's just no way because my income has fallen so much. It's just really interesting to see how quickly things unraveled with regards to the inability to pay his debt. Things unraveled for lots of people this quickly. In many cases, it was just one pay period into the crisis. So, you know, he said he was calling his lenders and he told them about the pay cut and that he was not able to pay really anything, especially as it pertained to the credit card bills. And he was asking them for deferment. Lots of other people were also asking for the same thing. And the banks didn't have much choice. Millions of their customers missing loan payments all at once would hurt their bottom line and look bad to shareholders. So they offered a compromise, temporary relief programs, basically telling everyone they wouldn't have to pay their bill for a few months. The relief programs are mainly comprised of, okay, you can't make your payment this month. We will not require you to make a payment this month or maybe next month or maybe for three months. And we will not charge you a late fee and we will not report you as being late to the credit reporting firms. So in many ways, it's a pause. It can help to keep your credit report without the blemish of of a late payment. And you would avoid the late fees you would otherwise incur. But the debt is still there. They still have to pay it back eventually. The debt is still there. In many cases, the interest is still accruing. Mm. So your balances are rising and everybody's kind of crossing their fingers that this problem is going to go away quickly. And in a few months, I'll be able to pay my bills. Stephen isn't so sure it'll work out that way. When he called his lender, Discover Financial, he said they offered him a relief option. He wouldn't have to make his minimum credit card payment now. But there was one big caveat. If he starts paying again, let's say in July, the payment he'll have to send to the lender won't just be the minimum required payment he owes for July, but it would be the minimum required payments he's owed for each of the months he didn't pay. He told me that he said to Discover, 
How can you expect me to essentially make that type of payment when I can't even make the minimum required payment right now? Discover didn't comment on Stephen's situation, but said it's offering relief to customers in need. But the pandemic isn't just impacting the debt people already have. Anna Maria says it could also affect who can get loans in the future. Her sources have told her that lenders may stop putting the same kind of emphasis on credit scores. So we're definitely in the early stages of a revision of the type of data that lenders are looking at to determine who to approve and who not to approve. Lenders have moved to placing more of an emphasis on data that addresses the sector that people work in, where, like what kind of jobs they have. For this crisis, looking at the areas that they live in, whether those are areas where more businesses have shut down or that are more prone to layoffs at this point. Consumer spending is the biggest economic driver for the U.S. If people come out of this crisis unable to get loans, it could be a drag on the recovery. But for now, lenders are just worried about all the people who owe them money and can't pay it back. How long can this strange limbo period where banks and credit card companies are letting consumers defer their payments, how long can this last? I think it's as long as the lenders are willing to go. The lenders rolled out these programs with a bit of a short-term outlook on things. And guess what? Three months for many people is done next month. Mm -hmm. Next month is June, right? If you got into this plan starting with your April payment, you're about halfway through that right now. And then what? It basically comes down to how long can the lenders keep going with this? Well, yeah. How long do you think they can sustain not receiving any of these debt payments? I think it's possible we could see them extend it further out a bit. But I think once we get to maybe the fall or the end of this year, some serious questions will come up of, okay, so you haven't received payment for five months. Should we call it what it is? Like these people are delinquent. These people can't pay. And if and when that point comes and people are delinquent, what impact is that going to have on their financial livelihood? The impact is a credit score that plummets. You're looking at being placed into collections, making it harder to get affordable credit at a time when they most need it. And maybe other more serious setbacks of not paying this debt will manifest themselves as we get to that point. Are they looking at foreclosures? Are they looking at repossessions? Or are we looking at people having a setback that they can't recover from? That's all for today, Wednesday, May 20th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Additional reporting from Ken Brown and Shane Shiflett. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.